individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. Martin Luther King, Jr. This is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry, because they said yes. And there's always room for more. Rachel Held Evans. God is always trying to give us good things, but our hands are too full to receive them. Augustine. The world says, the more you take, the more you have. Christ says, the more you give, the more you are. Frederick Buckner. Nearly all men and women can stand adversity. If you want to test a person's character, give them power. Abraham Lincoln. Well, thank God we finally are starting a week where there's no confusing or bad news. Whew, just a week off. <laughs> just joking. Merry Christmas. Um, I just love strawberry rhubarb pie. Anyone? I just got one, and I'm like, I cannot wait. Like, I got to eat this thing right now. Oh, yeah. Uh huh. You cool if I grab a slice? Uh, well, here's the thing. Like, I bought it for my family, and there's five of us, and I need two pieces. Okay. So, so I, I, don't, like, I don't think so. Sliver? I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, but I don't think I've got enough pie. Sorry, okay. Carmen. Okay, okay, cool. Yep. Okay. Okay, carry on. Yep. Yeah, okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah, it's fine. All right. People just keep wanting things from me. It's my pie, you know what I mean? And it's delicious, by the way. And somebody warned me ahead of time not to take too big of a bite, but too bad for them. Who? Strawberry rhubarb, people? Yeah, it's, got, it's a classic, right? All right, this is my pie. I'm going to have some more. Don't you forget it. But uh, we're talking about uh, Christmas challenge. When I, when I call this thing the 30-day Christmas challenge, I had no idea it would be this challenging. <laughs> wow, what a challenging season that we find ourselves in, and uh, repeatedly so. But there is good news at the center of this challenge. There is something that God's wanting to talk to us about. And so this week, uh, the title of this week is Everybody's In, and we're going to talk about the Christmas story through the lens of generosity and the extravagant generosity of, of God. So... This is the painting by Betty Dickinson uh, that we're looking at, and if you're still following us on Wednesday at noon on my Instagram, I'll have a conversation with Betty about what this means, uh, this picture specifically. But uh, as you can see in this art, it's a inclusive, the spirit of God is like going wide and far into the darkness and into all of the regions of the earth. And we're just going to talk a little bit about that, making room for the marginalized. All right, and then this is a scripture. This is a scripture. Now, if you're a parent and you've been doing church at Christmas time for a while, you love this passage of scripture. You always want your kid to be chosen in the nativity play as a shepherd. Am I right? Because it's the easiest thing to dress for, right? You just need a house coat. That's it. Maybe a towel and you're good to go. Here's a stick and you're a perfect shepherd. So I always just love it when my kids are shepherds because it's just easy. 
But here it is, Luke chapter 2, here's the scripture. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Here's something I want you to know about this. Uh, we're going to keep reading the scripture in a second, but I want you to know this, that God goes out of his way to get in the way of those most excluded. Okay, now I say this a lot. God goes out of his way to get in the way of those most excluded, not because I like it, but because that is consistently the witness of scripture. This is consi consistently the witness of Jesus. Jesus is constantly going. So even his birth, the announcement of his birth, even the events of Jesus coming, is God going out of his way to get in the way of those who would not be invited to the party, of those who would not be in the know. Uh, about what it means that, that Jesus, what, what it means, the good news that's coming, the announcement that's coming. So the shepherds, uh, you probably already know this, but shepherds are not really like on the high pecking order of inclusion when it comes to important things or parties or royalty or, you know, if a king's being born, they're not the ones that are going to be summoned to come and see because they're with the sheep. They're like over the hill and in the dark. That's what the, <laughs> you know, any of those people over the hill and in the dark. Actually, one of the ways that's helpful to think about what, what it means to be excluded or what we would use the term marginalized is to think about reading a book. When you're reading a book, you'll see the text in the book, and then on the, on the outside of the text are the margins. This would be a helpful image for you to realize that people who are not in the story, people who haven't made it into the main part of the text, but who are living on the margins of the story, those are the people that God goes to, goes out of his way, outside of the dominant story, into the... Uh, margins of the text and then brings people with him into the center of the story okay so this is just this is what god is like this is the nature of god when god decides to uh, come and show us himself he shows us himself even in the announcement the very first indicator of his birth the very first thing he does is go out of his way to get in the way uh, and how he does it is just as impressive so keep reading with me how he does this but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The gospel is extravagant and radically inclusive. So here's what I want to say about this. This is the nature of Jesus himself and his announcement. He goes out of the way to get in the way of those who are not at the center of the story to bring them into the center of the story. And we're going to talk more about the movement of power in a second. But the second thing is that he does this through extravagant generosity, okay? Just not just like a stingy sort of invitation out of obligation, but out of a generous extravagance. That's what he's doing. And radical hospitality. Now, a couple of the things from the text there that you might not know, and that's that when the baby, you know, we've memorized this uh, because it's so familiar to us for the Christmas story, but when the scripture says, you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, it's like code, it's like a code that's being given to them to say, you're going to be welcome here. <laughs> you're going to be welcome. You will not find this baby in a palace because otherwise they're not even going to bother to go, right? They're not even going to bother, bother, bother to go in a place where they're not welcome. But what's fascinating about this is even the manger is, uh, is prepared for accessibility, 
Shepherds would not, so, uh, you know, I, I hate to break it to you, but uh, Jesus was probably not born in a, ma- like in a stable, and he probably was not even born in a cave. The most probable accounts uh, from that day and age in terms of where Jesus was born is probably like in a house of a relative, in a dwelling place, and upstairs, uh, the guest room, all the people where the people actually live is probably full. That's what it says, right? That everyone was full. And so down in the bottom of a house would be sort of where the animals are and then kind of the cooking sort of area. And that's where they kind of, that's where they had to stay. That's the most likely scenario for the birth of Jesus. So if you think about this for a second, you think that Jesus was born in the most accessible place for shepherds to come. You think about that, like if they were, if, if they were upstairs where the people live, the shepherds would have to come and then be invited upstairs where the people are. Their sheep would have to go somewhere. Their smelly stuff, right? They'd have to be cleaned before they could come into where the people are, all that kind of stuff. They don't even have to go upstairs. They're invited. Jesus says, you're going to find this King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're going to find the Messiah, the one that you've been looking for and longing for, and he's going to be so accessible for you. You can go and see him. You could just go up to this out, outer court, you know, this, this bottom house. You can go, no one even, there's not even a gatekeeper here that's going to be like, who are you and why are you here? You have complete accessibility to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I mean, is it incredible that Jesus, one of the most important things in the announcement of his birth and in the inclusion of those on the margins into the center of the story is accessibility? So that they would know that God ordained the events particular events of his birth in such a way that he would be the most accessible to those who would not feel welcome. This is such a a fascinating thing for me and something that I think we struggle with so much. I think we welcome people. I think we say like, oh yeah, everyone's welcome. But to actually rearrange the way that we gather or to rearrange what we do and the way that we do it so that accessibility is one of the major things that we're worried about One of the major things that concerns us so that people would feel welcome, would feel like they could come, this is what it means to be extravagantly generous and radically hospitable. I was uh, thinking about a time where um, a friend of mine who's, uh, you know, wealthier came to visit me when I was living and working in the downtown east side, and she would come just take me out for dinner somewhere nice, probably in Gastown, where we were walking together to Gastown, and one of my friends, uh, Annie, you probably recognize her if you hear me speak a lot. I use stories from uh, Annie a lot because she taught me so much about God. But she's, you know, pretty disheveled. She's picking up butts, so she kind of smells like a burnt cigarette, you know, that smell. And she's uh, really unkept, but she ran into us. She says, Danielle, hi, you know. And she doesn't really have the social graces to know, like kind of to kind of read the situation, you know what I mean? And so she ran into us. She goes, oh, who's your friend? And I was like, oh, this is my friend, Deborah. And she goes, oh, great. What are you guys doing? I said, well, Deborah's in town. She's going to take me out for dinner. And she said, awesome. Can I come? (laughs) And you're just like, can I come? And I remember looking at Deborah, and Deborah's just like stricken with terror, you know, just like, (laughs) I don't know what to do. So I said, yeah, (laughs) you can come. Come with us. Now, I knew in the back of my mind that Annie never stays anywhere for more than 10 minutes, and she can't, you know what I mean? She can't sit, sit still that long. So, but anyway, I said, yeah, come. And I just remember Deborah just like stiffening, you know, just like, and we went into this uh, restaurant, a fairly nice one. And uh, when we got to the restaurant, we said, there's three now, you know, there's three of us. And I remember the waitress got all snitty, kind of looked, gave Annie like one of those side looks and then looked at Deborah and said, I don't think we have any room for you. 
Now, Deborah has never heard that in her whole life, right? She's never heard that. Like, it's just like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and so she put on her sort of best uh, privileged uh, attitude and went into the restaurant and looked around and there was lots of room and came back out and said, you have lots of room. You better find me a table here. <laughs> you know? And so they begrudgingly let us in. Uh, with Annie and sat down at this table. And Annie stayed for an appetizer and then she left and thanked us for the dinner. And when Annie had left, Deborah, I remember her saying to me, what was that? What was that that just happened? And I was like, what do you mean? What just happened? Like Annie joined us for an appetizer. She goes, no, what was that? I remember saying to her, oh, that, that's rejection. <laughs> That's, that's what it feels like to not be welcome. That's what it feels like to be excluded. That, that's what it feels like pretty much every day of Annie's life. And Deborah said to me, I had no idea what that felt like until today. This life posture, this posture shift that God, the gospel, is for us is to push back against the spirit of exclusion, is to push back against the spirit of rejection, is to align ourselves in such a way that our lives become open places that are radically hospitable, where people know they will be welcome here, extravagantly generous. Now, what I mean by extravagantly generous is that um, not only did, did God go out of his way to get in the way of the shepherds, and, you know, the angel comes and they're terrified, but then he goes beyond that. He doesn't just send one angel to the shepherds. He sends a host of angels to the shepherds. A host. Like, if you are fiscally responsible in heaven, you're not going to send a host of angels to people who don't matter to the dominant cultural worldview. You're not going to do, that's crazy. That's not a good fiscal responsible uh, strategy. <laughs> that's, that's outrageous. That's extravagantly generous and uh, completely, radically hospitable. God is sending, it, it, not only out of his way to get in the way, but extravagantly so let's keep reading the story. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those who, with, on whom his favor rests. Remember last week we talked about favor resting on people, including you, by the way, God's favor. He came because he loves you. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. This extravagant genera generosity and inclusive hospitality becomes this. News too good to keep quiet. It becomes news too good to keep quiet. It becomes something that cannot be contained when people feel radically welcome 
when people feel the extravagant generosity, it's news that's too good to keep quiet. <laughs> I have a friend uh, in the UK who is in a same-sex relationship. Oh, actually, she's married. And really struggling, both believers, but really struggling to find a church family. As you can imagine, the complicated nature of all that is, is, is difficult. And as such, kind of remain marginalized within church community. And it's been a real, real struggle for her. And she was telling me, she found this little church, and there was just like, I don't know, a couple dozen people there, mostly elderly people uh, near her, you know, just in her local area. And they went there, and uh, they were really well received. And she said, I, you know, I was feeling really, really good about this. And then she said, uh, it was Christmas time. I was thinking about this, I think, because it was Christmas time. And she said, a gentleman came over to us, an older gentleman came over to us, to me, and said, um, oh, hey, are you two friends or are you two a couple? And she said, every muscle in her body tightened. <laughs> she said, here we go again, because had, they had been asked to leave uh, several churches. And she said, all my muscles tighten. I was like, here we go again, here we go again, here we go again. And she said, we're a couple. And he, she said, he looked at me with a big smile and said, oh, okay, so one Christmas card would do. <laughs> and she said, yes, one Christmas card would be perfect. I just didn't know, should it be two or one Christmas card, right? What, what is the thing we're most concerned about in this scenario? We need you to know you're welcome radically welcome. How can we be the most accessible? How is Jesus, the gospel, the most accessible person on earth that even those over the hill and in the dark are welcome to find Jesus? And you know what happens when they know they're welcome, when everybody knows you're what the extravagant, generous, good news of Christ that is radically welcoming? When people know that, it's too good to keep quiet. It's too good to keep quiet. People speak of it naturally. It's actually just what comes out of them because this is good news. This is good news. This is what it is. It's really, really catchy. Now, in the first uh, message, I was talking about how when you're reading a text of Scripture, you can look for the movement of power in the text. Do you remember that? The movement of power in the text. And I think this is a really important thing to point out in this as well. Again, we saw that the power structure was moving in the text earlier, a couple weeks ago. We said it started with Herod, and then it moved to Zechariah, and then it moved to Elizabeth, right? Then it moves to Mary, then it moves now to Jesus. But now we see again, even then, it's still moving. It's moving outward, this power. It's moving outward to those who have the least amount of power, the least amount of worldly influence. It just keeps on moving. This is the direction of the power of God in the text, in the Bible, and in the world today. The power of God just keeps on moving in extravagant generosity and radical hospitality. <laughs> this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And I want to talk about kind of this concept of power because I think it matters in terms of how we live our lives. And this uh, worldly power, so how power works in the world, and kingdom power, which is how God works in the world. Worldly power is, really comes from us. It's ours. Our idea in the world is that we have the power. Anyone? I wanted to cue that music. I got the power, right? That we could do it. That if we could just like do more, try more, just pull ourselves up, make better choices, you know, like all of these things, if we could just do this, then we would be okay. I remember one of my heroes in the faith is Jackie Pollinger, who works in Hong Kong. There's a book about her life called Chasing the Dragon. And I remember her saying to her staff, I'm going to visit her, and she's had some incredible, uh, she's had this incredible ministry of helping drug addicts 
uh, heroin users, opiate users, who have literally have no hope. She has this incredible ministry of, of the power of God moving through her to them and them coming off of drugs pain-free and then staying off of drugs. And she's just had this incredible ministry. As a matter of fact, the government of Hong Kong gave her a whole acre of land for the people that she had helped. And uh, they live together and in community, and they still do this good news outreach where people will go into the streets and to drug addicts and say, hey, we've got good news for you. Like, there's a power <laughs> greater than any power that you've accessed so far, and that power is God, and let us show you how this works. And what's really fascinating about Jackie's ministry, when I first read about it, what she does is um, she uses the gift of tongues. You know, like in the gift of tongues, if you don't know what this is, it's like really like people speaking in some kind of language that you can't understand or like it's outside of your own capacity, your rational mind. And I remember when I first read her story, I just kind of skipped over that part because uh, I was part of a, a group that wasn't big on the gift of tongues because <laughs> it's such a confusing kind of weird gift that we, we most people just, you know, most Western Christians anyway are just kind of like, well, let's talk about that later. Right? We just, we don't, we don't talk about it a lot. But when I went to visit her, I was working with drug addicts in the downtown east side, and I wasn't getting any miraculous results. And I remembered her story, and I remembered she was still in Hong Kong 40 years later, and I thought, I'm going to go visit her and find out what to do. So I went to go visit Jackie Pollinger, and I said, what, help? <laughs> Give, like, rub off your mojo on me. Like, what's the secret? Give me the secret sauce. You know, like, show me what to do. And she said, um, talk to me about what you're, talk to me about like what you are doing. And so I was, began to tell her a little bit about our community. And she said, oh, I see. You're trying to talk drug addicts out of using. And I said, yeah. She goes, how's that working? She said, you know, you, have you ever met a drug addict who's like, you know, talked out of addiction? She said, what, actually, drug addiction darkens people's minds. Like, they're out of their minds. Addiction is not like a good choice people are, a bad choice people are making. The choice is gone. So somehow, you've got to bypass their mind and speak to their spirit. And she said, the only way I've figured out how to do that is to pray in tongues. Because I'm not speaking to their mind, I'm speaking to the, their spirit. And I remember watching her talk to this group of people who go out on the streets, and she says to them, stop trying to reason with people into, like, better life choices. Our job is not to reason with people. Our job is to love them into the kingdom of God. Our job is to infuse their spirit with radical inclusivity. So her strategy is to go out, try to speak to people's spirits, not their minds, and welcome them into hospitality homes. Literally, it's all she does is welcome people back home. And that radical, generous, spiritual transformation is, uh, is shown by, by miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle in her, in her ministry. And I, I, I remember just thinking, like, even when I was with her going, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I mean, like, just how do you do this exactly? And she said, well, what we do is we, we tell someone you're welcome. And if they want to come, they come. And they're a, they're a newcomer in our home, which means they do nothing. She said, what we're actually doing is recreating a womb. And they can do no wrong. We're literally just that they can sleep all day. They can shower. There's someone assigned to them 24-7 that just prays for them. And she said, I instruct everyone to pray for them in tongues the whole time. 
But anyway, she said, like, just not, this is not a rational conversation we're having. This is a spiritual power. But the spiritual power is not only through some sort of, like, heavenly gift. It's also through this witness of extravagant hospitality. You're part of us now. You're with us now. There's a, a prison chaplain in, um, in the book Abba, Father, by Brad Jersak, and he talks about this. He said he, he's friends with the prison chaplain, and the prison chaplain... Um, always in prison, he says, everyone I meet here is innocent. Whenever we have a conversation, they're always, they've been innocent. You know, they, they didn't do anything wrong. They were framed. Like this is, it, it, it's not what it seems like all of these things. And he, he decided to do an experiment. And the experiment was this. He said, I just went around telling everybody you're already in, you're in, you're already in, like you're already loved. You're everybody's in. <laughs> That's what he, everybody's in. And he said, what would happen is as soon as I said everybody's in, you're in, before I even asked them like what they're in prison for, but like you're in, you're in this church community, like you're in our chapel service, like you're in, everybody's in. He said, everyone would come up to me one at a time and say, oh no, no, I can't be in because like I did these, I did, he said, I've never heard so many confessions in my life than when I extended generous hospitality, when I extended the extravagant grace of God, when I extended the good news that everybody is welcome, as soon as I did that, he said, then people started to actually be honest. Isn't that incredible? How we're so busy sort of trying to figure out who can come in and who can't come in and who can, who's worthy and who isn't and have you repented enough and are you behaving the right way? And this extravagant, generous, and radical hospitality of God is at the core of the Christmas message. It's literally at the core. It's built into when God shows up, this is what God is like. And that news, when we touch it, when we feel it, when we get it, it's too good not to share. If you find yourself, like sometimes I find myself, if you find yourself sort of going like, I really should tell somebody about God, <laughs> I'm not sure you've really experienced the extravagant grace and the radical inclusive hospitality of God. And maybe allow yourself to do that again, afresh so that you don't have to be tight and whole, but you can open yourself to the goodness of God. So this is this power. It's not ours, it's God. I need a power greater than myself, and I get that through surrender. We talked about that last week. Here's a second idea of worldly power. It's limited. It's limited. And God is trying to show us that his power is unlimited. As a matter of fact, if you just follow Jesus' ministry, all he does is just give power away, and he doesn't get less powerful. <laughs> It's an unlimited resources. But we are so used to being told that our, 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 our power is like a pie. Damn. That our, all, all the well, only resources we have are like, it's like a pie. And we only have enough for ourselves. And we only have enough for our family. We only have enough for what our desire is or what our wants are. And that's how we design our life, with a limited amount. Danielle, but, yeah. I've got great news. I found so many more pies. We have so much pie here at the meeting house. <laughs> Guys, there's more pie. This is good news. There's, there's more, more pie. Where's Carmen? Where is Carmen? Get Carmen out here. Carmen! Come here. It turns out I do have enough. It turns out I have enough. You want some pie? Yes, I do. Okay, as soon as I open this. Everyone wants pie. All right. And does everybody want pie? Who wants pie? Would anyone like a pie? Come on I, down. Come get come a pie. Come and get the pie. We have it's so like much Oprah. pie. It's like, you get a pie, and you get a pie, and you get a pie. You, you guys down front, come get a pie. Oh, you're coming right up. All right. Fantastic. Come on up here. Okay. Come get your pie. Here you go. There's your pie. Here's a fork. Great job. There's a fork. 
Do you want to cut it into slices? There's so much pie. We have pie for everybody because there's enough. There's more than enough. There's more than enough pie. And here's here's what I want to. We're getting we're getting you pie. Don't you worry. Pie's coming. Come and get the pie. And uh, everyone's freaking out because of COVID protocols. Um, and that don't don't the first Christmas people were freaking out too because of other protocols. Uh, so don't worry. But I want to just I want to say this real quick that when you understand that the kingdom's power is unlimited, what it will do is it will impact the places where you thought it was limited. And then in the last one, this is generosity. This is open-handed living. This is recognizing that actually there is, an, there is a kingdom that is full of what it is that we need, grace and truth. And there's enough room for everybody. Uh, and this is the message of Christmas. And this is the message that God's trying to help us live, which is counter to the message that the world is trying to tell us uh, to live. And what happens is, is that as we access the kingdom's power, it begins to impact the way that we use our worldly power. It doesn't change it. The worldly power is still the same system, but we subvert it. We impact it. We enter in to the places where we do have power in the world with a different idea of how power works and what power is for. And this is the final uh, version of that, is that the worldly power believes that all of the power, all of the resources are for us. But the kingdom power recognizes that it's God's power it is completely unlimited, so we don't have to be scared. We can be completely open and generous. And what is it for? What is it for? It's not just for an accumulation of what I need and for me. The power is for others. It's for other people. And that's, uh, and that's the good news. The pie is not, your pie is not limited. It's delicious. And there's more. And there's more and there's more. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me, and uh, I'm going to invite you to stand up. And I'm going to invite you, if you've been doing the challenge, if you've been doing the challenge, uh, and if you're not doing the challenge, it's not too late. We're halfway through. So like, come on, get in on the halfway. We're not going to be like, you can't come because it's extravagantly open and we're extravagantly generous and you can come for the last little bit. It's going to be the best little bit anyway. Plus, what else are you doing Christmas Eve? Okay. <laughs> So join us. I mean, come on, like, uh, join us. And if you're doing this, you'll know that we do this posture prayer. I do this posture prayer. Every day we're inviting you to, 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 to practice the kind of posture that will take this unlimited, extravagantly generous, radically hospitable love of God and live it out in the world in which we live. And so I'm going to invite you to just raise your hands in a posture of surrender. And we just say in this place that we, we belong to you, God. We belong to you, and it's not our power that's going to help us through this week or help us through this day. It's your power. It's your power. So we give up ours to access yours. Thank you for giving us your power, your kingdom. And then I'm just going to hold my hands out like this, open, and just say, God, fill me with the revelation that there is more than enough. Fill me with the unlimited resources of your grace and your mercy and your goodness and your resources. Fill me with you, with your love that knows no limits. Fill me so I can live open-handed in a closed-fisted culture. And then finally, we're just going to open like we're, we're hugging each other, but not in real life because we might 
you know, break protocol, but here we go. God, we ask right now that you would help us to live radically inclusive lives, that we would turn ourselves like you did towards the margins, people over the hill and in the dark, people who feel not at the center of the story, people who are stuck, feeling outside. And we just pray right now that you would open us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and mouths like angels to say, you are welcome in my life. You are welcome here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, have more pie. <laughs> <laughs>